Hey everyone, thanks for joining the Go to Market News show. I got Mary Keogh here with me today. Thanks, Mary, for joining me today. Yeah, Taylor, I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, a little context for the audience. I've actually, the first time I met Mary, actually, um, and uh, but I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while now. And the reason why I wanted to bring you on the show was, um, first of all, you there's kind of two areas, and we'll, and we'll go into this. But number one, you work in a very specific industry. But yep. in combination with that, you have just some awesome uh, marketing tips, awesome just marketing frameworks and strategies that we'll get into today and highly recommend folks go follow you on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the two main areas. So I'd love to jump right into the kind of the first awesome. area, which is um, love for you to tell the fo- tell, tell the audience um, you work in, in uh, industrial manufacturing. Yep. Um, but tell me about that. And then tell me a little bit about your role, um, you know, the Gorilla 76 and, and kind of where, where you fit into all that. Yeah, for sure. So I work, I'm a senior strategist at Gorilla 76 now. I've been there for about a year and a half and just been loving it. Gorilla 76 as an agency is an agency specific to mid-market B2B industrial manufacturers. Um, We've since kind of expanded that just a little bit into kind of that interplay between manufacturing and industry 4.0. So we also Mm -hmm. work with a lot of folks or even like B2B SaaS companies, we've talked to a few of them, robotics and systems integrators, things like Mm. that. So people who are selling into the manufacturing space and because they're selling into this space or maybe they came directly from it, they still have a very similar mindset as some of those um, B2B industrial manufacturers too. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I'm curious. So we'll get into kind of, um, I think you have a lot of great like general marketing, B2B marketing best practices, which we'll get into today. Yeah, thanks. I'd love to hear, I know nothing about industrial manufacturing, <laughs> um, not only the industry, but marketing, you know, helping them market and helping them go to market. So I'd love for you to share with the audience, maybe one or two just kind of like quirks or nuances that you've learned marketing and helping these organizations, these B2B organizations market themselves. And what's unique that you haven't seen in any other maybe industry or any other B2B vertical? Yeah, for sure. So especially different to uh, B2B SaaS, so software as a service, is manufacturing is selling a product. So you get a physical thing when you purchase with a manufacturer. So you're either buying bulk pieces. These could be drill bits, tool bits, tools in and of themselves. You might be buying gigantic CNC machines. You might actually be um, doing more like a contract manufacturer where Mm. you're getting a service, but the end is always a product. So Hmm. that's kind of the interesting thing about industrial manufacturing is this physical product piece. Mm. And what that brings in is a unique perspective from a whole nother team set. So we've talked a little bit, bit, Taylor, in kind of our like warm up about um, getting information from sales, customer success, and product. Those are all Mm. in... Um, industrial. But what you have to add is this kind of operations and manufacturing component. So product Mm. engineering, for instance, works really closely with manufacturing and operations. And they just have a very unique perspective on how this product is going to be manufactured. So um, Mm. maybe how many of them they can realistically make in a year. So while product engineering might be like, hey, we need to push this product. I want, you know, a million of them sold by the end of the year or something. And manufacturing comes in and then they're like, we can't do that. 
So it just adds like there's a very <laughs> like nuanced piece in this adding of the physical component. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, what I keep on thinking of is maybe in b 2 B2B SaaS world and a similar equivalent would maybe like professional services mm -hmm. where it's like a one-off it's unique every single time. Yes. It's, uh, it's pretty heavy resource. So, you know, B2B SaaS, you know, margins are much higher than in professional services, right? So you have a much more of a, of a, uh, labor and or cost equation and fulfillment. Whereas SaaS is like, you know, code is obviously endless. Yep. Interesting. So tell me about, so it sounds like if it's, if I'm getting, understanding correctly, it's more like a professional service model where, um, it's unique every single time. How does marketing that type of model differ from maybe a traditional reoccurring revenue, uh, maybe not yeah, traditional, think, but at least um, a reoccurring revenue model. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I don't think that the marketing process changes. So I don't think the go to market process changes all that much. I okay. think the metrics that you ma measure post marketing mm. matter more. So you're not going to have anything like an ARR. You're not going to have MRR. Even lifetime value might be more difficult to track in a manufacturing mm. facility. So we'll track just stuff like basic pipeline revenue, um, customer acquisition cost, just like really high level numbers. And then usually from that point, it's kind of like they can tell if it's working or not. And mm. I love that you brought up profit margins too. In most instances, the profit margins in manufacturing facilities, if they're making a product, like a, a non-differentiated product, the profit margins are going to be very small. So that mm. also makes them very risk averse. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, man, tons of questions. That's uh, a <laughs> yeah, very, it's, it's, I think it's helpful. To, I think it's helpful for the audience because not everyone's in B2B SaaS and a lot of organizations have a professional service element to them, or, um, you could be in a, you know, a purely professional service type model where it's not reoccurring. So from a, from a marketing sales, um, yeah. How does that, I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper on like, how does yeah. that, you, you mentioned like risk adverse, you mentioned maybe even this, in, in this climate too, um, if there already were re, you know, risk adverse based upon the model, how is this affecting organizations that you work with now, even in this climate? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the risk adversity is one factor to consider the smaller profit margins and then overall what's worked for them in the past, right? So they hmm. are similar to some B2B SaaS organizations. Um, they're going to be sales heavy. It's a sales led motion. Okay. And the interesting thing about manufacturing is they usually don't have the venture venture capital or hmm. cash flow that a lot of, um, you know, like series a, B, C, D startups might have, they might have this huge influx of cash. That's just not going to happen in a manufacturing organization. They're usually very steady producers and they want to grow in maybe a specific segment or through a specific product line. So like I said about the risk adversity, they honestly just don't have the cash flow to mm. say, I want to put more than you know 10 to 20% of my overall budget into this new unproven marketing channel, for instance, which is why a lot of them are not necessarily resistant, but um, it's difficult for them to calculate an ROI for a digital marketing mm. investment. So even something mm. like a website update, it takes them a very long time to consider. Interesting. And uh, is there any nuances to the fact that since it is more of a, um, it's not a reoccurring model, it's, mm -hmm. you know, the margins aren't high, 
what um, you mentioned tracking or ROI and attribution and things like that. I mean, that's hard enough as it is. Yeah. But even with those those stakes against them, what are what are some processes that you all use to help them realize ROI um, on on marketing initiatives? Yeah. So we measure everything just to keep it nice and simple. Um, and because these manufacturers either don't have a lot of websites or they get almost no inquiries through their website. So we measure ourselves on any new business source through the website. So that's a pretty okay. easy ROI model for them to just like, nice. okay, yes, I understand that. We don't get a lot through the website now. So any increase we see, we could realistically attribute to any of marketing's efforts. Got it. And yeah. so, and then you don't use things like CAC, LTV, or um, nope. cost of acquisition, lifetime value. It's just pipeline opportunities sourced through this this channel. Through the website. Yep, that's through the website. it. Yep. That's almost simpler in some ways, That's uh, but yeah. also limiting in other ways. Um, and uh, that's cool. Thanks for sharing. Well, I, you also piqued my interest, and this was also on our agenda too, to talk about sales-led uh, yes. organization. And this is just... Uh, we could spend two hours probably talking about this uh, topic in and of itself. Uh, first, I'd love for you to define for folks, how do you define sales-led? And then we can go from there. Yeah, so sales-led in an in industrial manufacturing space, I don't want to talk too much in B2B SaaS since I don't have a sure. ton of experience with it, um, is sales is the primary driver of both new and existing business. So sales people are the main source. Everything goes through them. Um, they're given the highest priority. Um, they're doing most of the new business acquisition. But honestly, and this is also a unique one for industrial manufacturing. A lot of it is just they're kind of account managers. So you have hmm. an existing client base and your goal is to both keep them happy and to grow that existing client. Hmm. So like they're like full, full life cycle account yes. executives or account managers where they take them in from the initial opportunity and all the way through renewal or continued new projects and new opportunities. Yeah. So Very we cool. might not even see like at an industrial facility, for instance, we might not see a customer success team. We might not see an inside sales mm. team. It might just be the sales rep who handles all the entire life cycle of that customer. Hmm. Any pros and cons? that you've seen from that model compared to other things you've seen in the market? Yeah, for sure. Um, the biggest one is you get commission no matter what. So if an existing account grows, you get commission. So there's very little incentive to do new business growth. Mm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And I can see why uh, a lot of organizations, I mean, there's like that hunter farmer model where like the exactly. hunter is the AE and the farmer is the account manager. And I can, I, I understand that. And I appreciate that from a, uh, from a focus standpoint, and even like you said, incentivizing getting new logos. The problem is actually, I think some of the best customer experience is actually when somebody stays with you for the long haul. For sure, so it's a weird, it's a weird mix. And um, yeah, I, I know, like especially in B two B SaaS, where you could grow at all costs. Sure, departmentalize everything and have mm -hmm. this like you have, you have, no no pun intended, but a manufacturing assembly line for marketing and sales, and. Uh, and that doesn't create actually the greatest customer experience, especially in B2B where it's so relationship heavy, right? You're buying or investing in expensive things. Yes. Um, having that one person along the entire journey. Uh, but to your point, there's negatives too, as far as, you know, maybe not as incentivized to grow um, new logo acquisition. Yeah, exactly. And then 
in a sales led motion, marketing is typically a, I don't want to make it a negative connotation, but a sales admin. So you're helping sales do their job better. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing. And it, yeah, it makes sense that you're, if, if the tip of the spear is the salesperson, right? Um, everything yep. kind of supports that. And well, cool. Let's talk about marketing, uh, supporting a sales-led organization. And um, first, yeah, I'd love to hear just high level. What are some cool things um, that you've done that, that you've been able to support these sales-led organizations that you're like, wow, this was amazing. And maybe even shifting their mindset around marketing. Like, oh, marketing is this awesome asset. It's not just feeding me crummy leads, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think you nailed it right there is like not feeding them crummy leads. So the (laughs) um, biggest benefit that we've seen through teaching industrial companies how to build a foundation of marketing and not even just marketing, it's really for, it's really business foundations. So how Mm. are we positioning this product? How are we segmenting Mm. our audience? How are we going to target them for this product? And then Um, what's our messaging going to be? So how are we going to talk about it across the organization, right? So it's really reframing leadership's mindset and sales mindset that marketing is helping everyone sing from the same sheet of music is like Mm. an analogy I've heard. Um, And that's been really valuable. I think that companies hear that. And this is another quirk of industrial companies. They hear that and they get excited. They hear that we're going to create a story for their company or for their product. And they, they're like, yes, this is what we need. We need to be differentiated in some way. So in some instances, it's not even talking about all these cool reports we can do or this big ROI story. It's really, they're just excited that marketing can give them a story to talk about across the organization. I love it, Mary. That's awesome. And I think, you know, I, I have uh, empathy for sales folks in some regards because they're putting they put almost undue pressure on them to not only drive new revenue, but also tell the story, also be like a product yes. marketer. And like, it's it's a pretty intense position when you're like purely sales led. And I really appreciate what I heard is that, um, you know, there's, there's kind of like two worlds of marketing in some ways. There's like uh, demand generation, like how do we get pipeline? How do we get leads? Mm-hmm. How do we get new revenue? And then there's product marketing, there's brand, there's how do you tell the story? What's your ICP? Yes. Um, competitive analysis, you know, where are you in the market? And uh, that, you know, product releases or, or whatnot. Um, that's a lot there, even just on that, that one side of yeah. brand and, and product marketing, right? And if sales is has the pressure of having to, to not only get new, do the demand gen and also get new revenue, but also do that. Um, that's super cool. That's great. Yeah. And I love to hear as well uh, from a sales-led um, kind of focus and, and mindset or working with those types of organizations, you have shared a bunch of cool stuff, uh, different strategies, one of them being um, a recent post you have, and I'll put this in the, in the, the show notes so folks can check it out. But you said building community was kind of your, in your opinion, your number one way of, of growing your business. Can you talk a little bit yeah. more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Community is a big talk to- is a big topic, especially in I would say more B two B SaaS organizations. But it's interesting to hear industrial kind of coming around to this concept, and mm. I think that community gets a little bit maligned. Like we think community has mm. to be just 
this place online where everyone hangs out, whether that's a Slack channel or, um, you know, a Reddit thread or whatever. But I think community, if we broaden the definition of community, then it makes it easier. But what I really mean by community is just creating a place your customers can go to learn, engage, and maybe even be entertained. I don't know. It's B2B hmm. industrial. So entertainment <laughs> is a big one, but engage and be educated. Sorry. Bussy. So <laughs> when our customers talk about um, community, it's really trying to get them to that mindset is how can we just create a space where they can ask questions, come to learn, like it's their go-to resource for fill in the blank. I'll give you an example, like fill in the blank. We have one client who's created a Facebook group specific to CNC machinists. And so mm. all the CNC machinists can come to this place and it's not, no, no one's talking about the company. No one's talking about the product. Mm. They have like very specific roles for soliciting in place. So no talking about selling or anything like that. It's just, I want to be better at my job. How can I get better at what I do as a CNC machinist? Or even, hey, is anybody seeing this problem? It's a place where you can go to get better at what you do. Very cool. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And I, it, it is definitely um, been popularized this past year, like you mentioned, in B2B in general and and uh, in the virtual world too. I think it's only made it easier and more natural, um, especially since the pandemic. Uh, I'm curious how have you seen community being used in a sales led organization for like expansion and retention and just yeah. the ability to keep customers engaged and, and, and keep them around? Yeah. I think the easiest way to do it in a sales led organization or an organization that's maybe resistant to newer marketing initiatives or like more revolutionary, I guess, more modern, um, however you want to describe it, is the live event. The live event's the easiest. They, mm. Most industrial manufacturers call it a webinar. So just a place where you're regularly educating your audience with a subject matter expert, preferably a deep subject matter expert. So, And these would be recurring. And this, I think, is the big one. A lot of our clients will do a webinar and they'll do a one-off or they'll engage with... Um, a company in their network and they'll do just, you know, we're going to host this one webinar. And I think that's really the miss that I'm seeing the most mm. is like, you have to create a place where your customers can keep coming to keep mm. learning and be educated about your industry. Oh man. If we could just take that 10 seconds, you said of being <laughs> consistent, like that is uh, a good, a good life moral, but also uh, in marketing in general, like, uh, like, I mean, people get, I last statistic I saw was about 5,000 ads per day. People get yes. in front of them. And so um, you are, you are, it's an uphill battle to get people's attention. So that consistency, you know, shows that you're, you're in it for the long haul, but then also that they have multiple opportunities to be engaged I'm curious, exactly. um, you mentioned subject matter expert, and uh, this is another term um, I'm sure folks that are listening have seen this uh, uh, used. First, can you describe what that is? And then second, yeah. how does a sales-led organization tap into subject matter expertise for their content creation? Yeah, awesome. That's a great question. So subject matter expert is anyone that's especially knowledgeable about the topic in which you're speaking. Um, so this could be, we'll go back to our CNC machinist example. Um, preferably you'd have somebody who's been a CNC machinist for a long time, um, an, an operations engineer who's managing that whole process. 
So somebody who interacts with the topic a lot or is knowledgeable in some other way about it. Very cool. And then how you do this as a sales-led organization is you have to tap into your internal resources. So this Mm. is usually your product team. I talked a little bit about that operations manufacturing team. That would be awesome if you can include them. Even a salesperson who's been there for a long time and can kind of step out of the the salesperson role and maybe step into more of an educator role. Um, Mm. You just have to tap into your own internal resources. And I know it sounds crazy, but for in-house marketers especially, I feel like you kind of just know who yours are. So when I was in-house at um, a manufacturing company, there was like three or four people where I just knew. I was like, these are the subject matter experts, not only who are deeply knowledgeable about the topic in which I want to speak, but they're also engaging. You know, Mm, they're dynamic speakers. They're easy for people to interact with. So you just kind of know, and those are the people you need to get on your side. I love it. Yep, there's... uh... Yeah, there's uh, like the, the gift of monologue, the folks that can continue to, to talk. And um, I appreciate that. That's cool. And I think for sales, like you also mentioned too, as well, um, for like a sales rep that has, you know, I think the best salespeople I've interacted with have always been folks that have been an expert in their product. And also have, you said that educator component, which yes. I think is like um, so powerful. The best sales people that I've, I've, I've worked with or even when I was an AE, I aspired to be that, right? The expert of the product and um, somebody that, that can educate folks and help them even outside of the product, right? And I think there's this, there's this shift that maybe you as the marketer can, can bring in or marketers in general can bring into the team of like, hey, let's not just pitch our product and sell our product, but let's educate, let's build that relationship, let's give them value outside of our product. And I think that's yes. where any sort of content creation, webinars, community, um, comes in and tell me about, um, yeah. And then as far as just having, yeah, the subject matter experts, bringing those folks on that are educators, that are product experts, um, even outside of, or maybe even actually even one step further, maybe even not just product experts, but their customer, their experts of their customer, right. Of yes. all the problems their customer experience. Cause mm-hmm. that's really a kind of how you, I think how you educate well, tell me how you can, from the subject matter expertise, lean on the greater community to help create content as well. Not just if let's say internally you're a smaller organization, you don't have, maybe you're a startup, you don't have that subject matter expertise in-house. How can you leverage the greater community to create content, build community, et cetera? Yeah. The easiest way to do this is find out where either your current customers get information or where your potential customers. So you mentioned being a startup, sometimes series A startups don't have the benefit of a huge customer base, but knowing who you're selling to. So that could be job title, industry segmentation, maybe even company, if you're going as specific as an ABM strategy early on, like interview people in that segment Hmm. with no other purpose than to educate yourself on who they are, what kind of job do they do and how do they research a similar product to yours? And usually from there, you can get valuable information like Facebook groups they might be a part of, Reddit Mm. channels, um, even podcasts they listen to. So I think the, the really difficult thing, I mean, this is hard work putting this research in, but then not only the initial research, but then taking that next step and being customer obsessed by mm. listening to the same podcast they listen to, hanging mm. out in the same communities they they hang out in, 
that's just like taking it one step further. And that's how you can really hone your messaging and make sure, like you said, you're getting valuable content or ideas for content from your customer base or potential customer base. I love that. Thanks for sharing the super cool. I think there's multiple things I heard. There was obviously number one, you can leverage uh, maybe potential customers or even current customers to get insights of like, you know, uh, how, how can you understand the greater community? But then that should just be a continual practice, not yes. only just to create content or find subject matter expertise, but just to keep your, uh, I think that one of the biggest negatives of being in a go-to-market team is that we're not our customers, you know, yes. majority of the time, right? Like I, my day job is I sell and market to CPAs and accountants. Like I'm not a CPA or accountant, right? So right. I've continually have to educate myself and, and, uh, continually have to uh, lean on those resources so I can get myself inside the head of, of my customer. Um, we have a few minutes left here before yeah. we to wrap up. I would just love to hear uh, marketing in general, um, especially in a sales-led organization, where, where do you recommend folks starting? And uh, yeah, with maybe one or two channels or campaigns or um, areas that you'd recommend folks starting if they have, if it's 100% sales-led, right? Yeah. SDRs, AEs, no marketing investment at all. Where, where should folks start? Yeah. So the first thing I would start with is customer research. If you can do it, um, never, ever undervalue just how important customer research can be. Um, mm. so I'll give you an example at my former job. I was not allowed to talk to customers because we were sales led sales, quote unquote, owned those customers. So marketing couldn't really talk to them without a sales rep being involved. So I went on LinkedIn and just started messaging people in our ICP and we're like, Hey, I'm a new marketer. I don't know anything about the steel industry, for example. Will you please just sit down with me for 15 minutes and tell me a little bit about what you do? And you're going to get a lot of no's, but you're going to get some yeses. Mm -hmm. And those yeses mm -hmm. are really valuable. And those are people who, you know, going back to being a, an educator, want you to learn more about it. So they're going to answer your mm -hmm. questions. They're going to stay on for longer than 15 minutes, but it's just very, very valuable. And then the second thing I would do is you nailed it. Like, I think the biggest thing we hear from marketers in-house at industrial companies is I don't know where to focus. There are so many things being thrown at me that I don't know where to spend my time. And the biggest thing you can do is just, there's no wrong answer because mm. even if you have the quote unquote wrong one, you didn't really fail because you tried it out, right? Mm. So if you're going to go after ABM, if you're going to try and do SEO, if you're going to try and do pay-per-click, you're going to try organic social, whatever you're going to try and do, make sure most of your focus is there. Otherwise, you're just not mm. going to have the right um, signals coming back to you saying whether or not it's working because you're spread too thin. So mm. that would be my, my biggest two pieces of advice is focus and then do your customer research. I love that. And even back to what you were saying earlier, as far as the consistency, uh, that kind of ties into that too, right? Of like being able to just uh, yeah stay long in in a, in a campaign and actually see it actually get enough data to know if it's working or not um, and then yes. being close to the customer oh those are two great ideas thanks so much for sharing yeah Mary, it was super great great talking to you great to finally meet you um, how can folks uh, stay connected with you and 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 follow you yeah please follow me um, on LinkedIn Mary Keo K E O U G H if you guys have any questions DM me I'm answering them all the time awesome. Thanks again, Mary, for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. Bye-bye.